Welcome to Places, everyone. I'm Lonnie Firestone. This is part two of two interviews with artists from the musical A Strange Loop, cast member Jason Vesey and associate director Namuna Sise. In this episode, we pick up on some of the topics discussed at our live interview event on October 24th at JCC Harlem. The first segment is with Jason Vesey, who plays Thought Five in A Strange Loop, as well as other characters. He has been in every production of the musical, beginning with its world premiere at Playwrights Horizons. One item we discuss is the song Periodically, that you can listen to on the original Broadway cast recording of A Strange Loop, on Spotify and iTunes. The song depicts the relationship between the main character, Usher, and his mother, as told through a voicemail message that she leaves for him on his birthday. I encourage you to take a listen before or after the episode. After the break, I'll talk with Namuna Sise, director, actor, and educator, who joined the production in its pre-Broadway run at Woolly Mammoth Theatre Company in D.C. Namuna will talk about joining the creative team with director Stephen Brackett, and she'll reflect on how the show handles the theme of self-acceptance. Take a listen and enjoy. So there's a commonly expressed idea in musicals that songs either speed up time by giving the audience a lot of expository information, or they bring time to a standstill by living in a moment emotionally. The song periodically is, in my view, a work of genius in the way that it does both in this play, in this musical. It magnifies a moment for Usher's mother and for Usher's reflection on it. And it also manages to capture years and years of her parenting. One gets a sense that they have seen Usher and his mom through so many years of his childhood and adolescence, through her religious guidance, her teachings about faith, her admonishments, her instructions about how to live. And the song begins as a voicemail message on his birthday and evolves into an expression of her goals for him and the way that she hopes his life will unfold. Can you share how this song plays a formative role in the musical? And what is it like for you as a cast member being privy to the experience of viewing the song, almost in a way that that we do? First off, I'll start by saying that, like, as someone who considers themselves a scholar of theater, but also musical theater, too, I don't think I've ever heard someone express what you just expressed in terms of either moving the plot forward or, like, stopping time, which I kind of really love because both of those things still can further the plot, but also do different things. So I, and it does do both. My first initial thoughts about the number are it stops time first because it's the first time not that we have a thought step out into a different character and have a moment, like we have Bill Morgan's, you know, do sympathetic ear. But this is the first time where we get a perspective or an insight to another character besides Usher's emotional journey and their thoughts, particularly about Usher, which I think is a departure. It is an incredible moment to watch. I've been watching that moment since the first time I became a part of this sitting, I'm never forget sitting right next to John Andrew Morrison and he stood up and I'd only seen the song in lyrics before. I'd never heard it before. And just thinking, 
that's a Tony nominated role. Like he's going to get nominated for something. And I was right. It was just a full one act and a full journey of a character that has been spoken about that gets to give us their interpretation of who the central character is. I think it also represents, I think it stops time and then redirects time in the sense that the previous one before, which is in Wadadi, is shocking to say the least. But there's something about periodically going into the last section of the show that I think really is the one that goes this way with it. Because periodically as a number is such a getcha gotcha. It starts out one way. And of course, there are hints at who the mom is. But once we get into this, the love, what I call the lullaby section, it's like this gut punch that feels like a hug almost, or like a quilt or a baby blanket. It's completely unexpected. And because of that, we're completely taken aback by how much more common that kind of love is, as opposed to the fire and brimstone, get out of my house, disownment. That's the thing that like you can tell that this mother truly, truly loves her child and is just terrified for his salvation. And like, I've always viewed that as the 11 o'clock number of the show. Interesting. Yeah. In a way, it's the Rose's turn. It's Sumi. It's um, the no good deed goes unpunished. It's the I am changing, but in such an unexpected way. Because I think it really, does it shift the plot? No. But does it shift the tone and let the audience know, oh, the last 70 minutes of this show have been laughter and fun and subversity and, and irreverence. And now we're going to a place that is a little bit more, I wasn't prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about that number so much. I think that that number or that shift sums up a strange loop a lot. Wow, yeah. And one of the ideas that we talked about at the event was that the mother has such deep love for these two entities, her son and God, her faith, and believes that one can bend and one cannot. And to think that the son is bendable, that's, that's the heartbreaking part. Yeah, it's the heartbreaking part. It really is. It's one of those things that like, I talked about at the event how, like, my experience in life with my parents is completely different. I always joke, but it's totally true. Vivia, my mother's name is Vivia. If this entity who came down and said, I'm Jesus, came down and said, Vivia VC, choose between me and your mom would be like, great, bye. (laughs) Meaning, like, my mother believes in a higher power, but I think that she also, like, that would be bendable to her and not her children in terms of that. They're like, there's only so much you can do with your children. But again, it's still based out of love. The love that she has for these two things are palpable and amazing, dangerous. Even the love for her child is dangerous in a way, mm. you know, um, as love, as true love can be when that love 
leads you to not looking at the person, but more the idea of the person. Yeah. And how has your distance or safe removal from the church let you confront or reflect on the themes of the musical without having the knot of personal experience? Right. I've always been a firm believer that like, as a human being, I don't have to understand everything. I'm not one of those people. I never have been. But through my conversation with friends of mine throughout my life who grew up in the church, it's not my job to judge or even try to assess what they're going through. It is my job, however, to utilize this story to as a way to maybe like advocate or like bring voice to those who have been through that experience because I know that I'm an anomaly. Me not growing up in the church has aided me in a certain level of freedom personally in terms of where I seek love or validation from or where for me to walk through life being out and free and have ownership over that, which has allowed me to come to this piece with a fuller, confident, and more healthily protected spirit, which also allows me to be able to be of service to those of my cast members who are experiencing emotional dust being kicked up and coming to terms with things that they've worked through or haven't worked through with their relationship with the church or their family. It's allowed me to be a source of support, but also to learn because when you grow up in your house, it's not until you get out in the world that you realize that like the rest of the world doesn't do that, you know? So I don't understand parents choosing faith over your children, but how could I? I don't understand someone kicking their child out of their house and saying, hey, you're not my child anymore. I don't, I mean, that doesn't compute to me, but I understand that that's happened to people. And it's also allowed me just in a, in a management level to be able to do the show because we confront so many things. So I came in with a built-in force field that I don't think I realized until we got to production. I play Rex Horizons. I don't think I realized that gift that I was given in terms of being able to walk in, do the show, invest in the show, and then when it's done, be able to leave it at the theater. And what you're pointing to is so much about the expansiveness of theater, of seeing a story... And this is in very much part of my experience of seeing a strange loop and seeing various worlds that I have not been in. Yeah. And seeing I'm some of this might be so new that I'm just encountering literally this evening. Yeah. 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 But now saying this exists, people feel passionately, people are reflecting on it. It's a source of conflict or yearning. And how can I look into it? How can I learn more? Yeah. Yeah, it's also one of those things too. I'm finding that a lot of people, it also kind of highlights how many people have an usher or just someone who was in the show, like a friend that like is a thought or an usher that either never asked or assumed a monolithic experience or realizing how much they don't know specifically or the nuance of a group of people's experience, which I think is in general, that is what the art form should hopefully do in general. You know, I don't have to 
necessarily like um, I always think about um that play Heroes of the Fourth that was about a bunch of black conservatives. It's a fascinating play. It's a, it was a phenomenal play. Do I want to really be around those people in a campfire in real life? No, but watching them and watching them, it's, that fear does that it creates this like awesome void for you to actually hear a perspective without doing the emotional labor of, <laughs> of, of being in, in conference or conflict with that person. <laughs> yeah, well put. So much of the musical is about Usher finding where he feels a lack of self-acceptance in so many avenues of life. Yeah. And there's one scene where you play the unattainable right. character. Yeah. You are someone he meets by chance on the subway and start talking with, and he starts to share a bit about what he's writing, and your character is so personable, disarmingly so, that Usher starts to feel confident about the possibility, only to realize it's in his imagination and entirely out of reach. Yeah. It's such a gut punch to realize or to acknowledge that something that you think might be a possibility is in fact not and unrealistic. You're playing the unattainable and in a play that's about finding self-acceptance even without attaining certain things. Yeah. What, what is that like? The scene is so small, but it really had such an impact. Yeah. Um, it's, I'm so it's curious the, about it. It's one of, you know, I always talk about it first and foremost is just like, God, I lucked out and got a, just a couple of gems of moments in this piece that, you know, I just am only big for. The Joshua scene is very near and dear to my heart because one, it's one of those things about like, it also challenge, it's like a social experiment to me, right? It challenges audiences' perceptions about what happens when they're watching a black body on stage. Well, this specific black body on stage playing things that they don't even realize what's happening. The start of the show or the scene is almost like this kind of like great rom com scene, you know, this rom com scene with this guy that like he feels would never be interested in him, and then we find out that it's in his imagination, and then without giving away too much, we find out that this person is something completely other than what we see, you know. So it's 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 an amazing experiment and also just like how we as audiences have been trained to go on journeys with actors and bodies of color. It is also a lesson in humility in the sense that like I have to understand what I look like to audiences before the scene starts and in an effort to make it effective. I have to understand that I am being presented in a way regardless of how I feel about myself Monday through Sunday, that I'd be presented in a way as something that is unexpected for this central character and play it as if it should be expected. Because the reality is, the thing that I think about that scene the most is that like, it's only that my character Jocelyn is only out of his league until Usher tells the audience that he is. Up until that, there is nothing. If, 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 if I were a real person, okay. it's still a real person who's engaged, who's actually forcing you to talk to him. <laughs> no, he's okay. only out of league until Usher's, until Usher, as we find out in his magic, Usher to himself is saying, oh, you're in my imagination. I think it's one of those things where like once we feel it, realize that it's fictitious, 
the saddest thing is kind of like, well, that guy could be into you. You're not even giving yourself a chance. Yeah. Yeah, And I've also, how things read when you're on stage reaction-wise is always smaller than it actually is in, in the house. So I'm constantly surprised and bowled over at how many people tell me that like, that like they thought they were punched in the gut in that scene. Because it's not, a, it's not, it's not violent like in with daddy or, or necessarily traumatic like the mom scene. But I think it's very pedestrian in the fact that like so many people have experienced doing that to themselves. It's like what I, um, I, I refer to as like Walter Mittying, like that movie, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, where he just makes up scenarios. Mm-hmm. We do that to ourselves a lot. And I think that that's, it's relatable and it calls out how often we all do it to ourselves. Yeah. You know? Yeah. As a last question, yeah. is the most moving moment for you night to night a moment that you're in or that you observe? I'm going to say it's, it's that I'm in. I think the dad scene for me is so moving. Because one, all three of the people who p- can play Usher at any moment in time, from Jaquel to Edwin to Kyle, watching someone say to you that they feel no joy about who they are whatsoever is just so hard. And that's hard because as actors, we always talk about like finding ourselves in the moment and, and, exp- and you know, trying to find a connection between what the characters are experiencing and our own experiences. And for me, the single greatest thing that makes that seem so emotional for me is the fact that I have so many people in my life that have experienced that and I didn't experience that from my parents. And that just itself makes me sad. There is something to be said about being an actor that has to play a scene that is the antithesis of your experience and so sometimes playing that scene in itself is kind of speaking for those who did it, whether I'm the one doing it or receiving it. I think just watching whoever's across from me and feeling the audience intrinsically understand something that I never experienced and knowing that what I experienced was the opposite of that is just enough to like break your heart. And then on top of that, it's a father who I firmly believe, truly believes is doing not even best. He thinks he's nailing it. Yeah. Well, it's like what you were saying before, like you can't imagine a parent having a certain view, but you know that those do exist. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. And I think that more often than not, there are more experiences of a father trying his best and not being good enough as opposed to a father just being like, no, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's, that's what's the most heartbreaking about it. It's also just a scene where it's my job to not excuse him, but to humanize him. And I think that the act of being a human being and coming to terms with the fact that your parents are also human beings is the singular most, is that one of the definitive things of growing up. <laughs> yeah. It's a hard thing to realize. I was like, oh, I, okay. You're just a human who just chose to have another human. In your- <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Yeah. And you know what you think about. And you know when you really realize that? When you become a parent. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's one of the most, I think it's actually, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I can imagine that's got to be one of the most beautiful things about being a parent is realizing after being a parent, not an excuse. I do understand an explanation now. Like I get it now. Yeah. That's, it's a well, that's also too, it's a scene about two parents who definitely nurture their child and his weirdness and other things. And it's kind of turning in on them. They send him to all these schools and they send him, and, and now you're speaking, talking to us like you're smart, like how he is speaking to them, they set up that way. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So they're having the confrontation within themselves at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's a very specific thing to be a person, whether you be an immigrant or whatever, to send your child, to make sure that your children go to the best schools and have the life that you never had. But what comes with that is at some point in time, you might feel like that child now thinks that they're smarter than you or that you don't understand something or like all those things that you wanted to do are now you're being confronted with, which is hard. Jason, thank you so much for your thoughts on this show and, and on performing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Coming up, I'll talk with Namuna Sise, Associate Director of A Strange Loop. Stick around. So thank you so much for joining me last week with Jason at JCC Harlem. It was really cool to talk about the show with you. And I wanted to recap some of your thoughts and ideas from that night and give you a chance to share additional thoughts that may come to mind as we're talking. Cool. The time when you entered the show was a really auspicious time for the production because it had already won a Pulitzer. It already had this really well-received production. It had a following at that point, and it was now going to D.C. as a pre-Broadway run and then having its development to Broadway. So you were coming in in a way to develop, strengthen, reinforce but also coming into a production that very much was deliverable to a Broadway audience. So how did you see your role at that point? And where did you find room for strengthening and development? Yeah, it's interesting because Strange Loop had had such a successful run at Playwrights Horizons in 2018, I want to say. I think that's the right year. And I actually didn't get to see it. And I remember hearing all about it and it got extended a bunch of times and everyone was like, you have to see the show. And I was like, "Ah, it's expensive. So I didn't go. And then once I just sort of like, I sort of like weirdly fell into this job. And when I did, I realized that I was able to bring something that I think ended up being really helpful to the process in that I hadn't seen it and I got to come to the production with fresh eyes. And because Strange Loop had been developed like for like 20 years at the point when I joined the team, most of the people in the room had already been with the show for like 20 years, 12 years, 10 years. Everybody had been with the show at least since 2018 when I joined in 2021. So 
I was able to sort of be the person in the room that could be like, okay, I know you think this makes sense, but it doesn't make sense to me as the person who has fresh eyes on this. Or, you know, now that we're in a different sort of place, we all know how much happened during the pandemic and how our sort of cultural zeitgeist around many different issues changed. And I was sort of able to be like, okay, this reads weirdly now or differently, or this is really strong to me now because I was able to sort of come with fresh eyes. So that, I think, ended up being a gift. And I knew that it had won the Pulitzer, but I didn't read the script until I was about to have an interview with director Stephen Brackett. And so it was really cool to be like, oh, what is this show? And then to read it and be like, oh, yeah, this is actually Pulitzer Prize winning genius. And then to see the actual artist do it was even a whole nother layer because you can't understand really what it is on the page, even though you understand that the words are incredible. Can you think of a particular example of something that read as off balance to you as perceiving it from the audience perspective? I don't know if I can think of something like a specific moment, but sort of a more general one is Once we sort of were getting into D.C., it wasn't confirmed yet that we were going to Broadway, but it was there were rumors. (laughs) There was a lot of like talk and like implications of like, well, when we eventually get to do this show again, we'll do this. Right. And so it was sort of known, but wasn't sure. And one of the things that I think was interesting was once you get to a stage like Broadway, or in this case, the sort of like pre-Broadway run at Woolly Mammoth in D.C., it's a different audience than a New York audience that comes to an off-Broadway, risky, new play theater like Playwrights Horizons. And so to be able to sort of see the show from the lens of, okay, how do we make certain things that are like, we don't want to change, right? Like what's one of the things that makes Strange Loop so amazing is how specific it is. And how it does speak to like it has like specific language and specific images that are specific to black communities, to LGBTQA plus IA plus communities, to religious communities. And so we didn't want to like take away the specificity, but it was, I think, helpful to be like, wait, like I, Namuna, who's new to this room don't understand this reference and like, do I need to understand this reference or is the point that I don't understand this reference, right? Because like once you get to Broadway, you know, a lot of people are coming from all over the country and don't have sort of the same references as those New York City audiences that enjoyed it at Playwrights Horizons. There was mention at the event of hesitancy around producing this play back in its earliest stages. Mm-hmm. And directors and producers feeling like they maybe couldn't even touch it for having interest or for lack of interest. It might be, this is just not for me, or it may have been, I see a lot of great potential in this work. I don't know if I can be the one to shepherd it mm-hmm. because of all of the potential backlash to the material, or would it get an audience, or would it garner a following? even with all of the truly moving universal components within it. Yeah. How do you respond to that idea? And now that it does have this substance and following and the Pulitzer and the Tony Award give it a kind of objective legitimacy 
that even fans of the particular work don't have to vouch for it because now it has this established credential. Yeah. Now, how do you approach it looking back to those to what must have been the perspective from so many people in those earlier times? Yeah, because I wasn't there at those times in those days, I, I just sort of have heard the stories about that. But even now, Strange Loop was my Broadway debut. And so for the first time ever was was introduced to sort of the culture of Broadway and the system of Broadway. And, you know, Broadway is very risk averse. I think we, you know, we know this um, and not just Broadway, but like bigger sort of regional theaters off Broadway. Not all of them, but a lot of these like sort of once you get into this commercial theater space, it's a lot about making money or at least making your money back. And so taking a big risk on something that is as different and as new and as in your face as Strange Loop is I understand why knowing what I now know about Broadway and how producers and general managers and all those people work, I, I understand why it was a big risk. And like even now, yeah, it is objectively successful, but it's also closing on January 15th. It's not like in my brain, I'm like, Strange Loop should have as much time on Broadway as Phantom of the Opera. Do you know what I mean? Like, so even though it has one of the Pulitzer, it won Best Musical, everybody is sort of talking about it. It's in sort of the cultural world right now and in a mostly positive way. I still don't know that Broadway is ready for it. And like I said earlier, the audiences of Broadway are different than the audiences of New York, like the regular New York City theater audiences. And I don't know that people who are coming from around the country who are like, I should see this show called Strange Loop because it won Best Musical. I think a lot of them, as the associate director, I would watch the show all the time and I would sort of be able to feel the audience. And a lot of people would walk out, you know, like, I don't think they understood what they were coming to. And to me, that means it's successful in a lot of ways, because it's supposed to make people uncomfortable. But those are the same people that need to buy tickets and tell their friends to buy tickets. And so it's been really interesting to be a part of this process where it is so successful. And I got to, you know, be there and celebrate like, oh, my God, we just won Tony for Best Musical. And also, Broadway's still not quite ready for it. And I think it also remains to be seen what comes of it from now. Will it have a national tour and will it have subsequent productions and yeah. how the cast who has gotten so attached to the show and now can they can be inspired to take roles and maybe some people who were timid or a little nervous around saying yes, whether they ultimately did for this production, can yeah. maybe feel that kind of self-assuredness for future roles. Yeah. And I mean, I, that's what I really hope for it. Like as much as I'm so thrilled that a show like this got onto Broadway, like I think we need to abolish the idea that Broadway is it, that Broadway is like the pinnacle of success and everything else is lesser than that. Like the thought of Strange Loop going out and having tours, like and being able to not only tell the story to more people who Broadway is inaccessible to, but also to be able to give jobs to more Black queer people, you know? Like, there's only seven roles in the show, plus we have five understudies. So what is that, 12? That's like 12 roles for Black queer people. That's amazing. That's more than any other show, I would assume. But, like, to go out in the world and be able to, like, hire even more Black queer people to be a part of this show... 
And people come up to me and come up to us, and you saw it even at the event, and say how this show has changed their lives. And so to be able to like give this show to other people, to me, is where it should live more than being stuck in an old Broadway theater for audiences that don't always understand the importance of it. The show brings up religion, as you mentioned, in a lot of different ways. There are sincere portrayals, there's comic references, there's painful reflections. In portraying the show and and having your lens as a director on it, how did it make you think about your own background and experience and viewpoints as a Jewish person working on this show that has such specific Christian ideas, but also ideas about how religion just works in a family framework? Yeah, I think that last thing you said, how religion works in a family framework is more where I sort of feel like I connect to it. As I said at the event, uh, I come from a family, I come from two parents who very much rebelled against their religions. My mom grew up practicing Jewish, practicing Judaism. She's Jewish. And my dad is Muslim from West Africa. And uh, both of them really rebelled. And that's like one of the reasons why they came together. And so when I grew up, it was like very much in my face, like the opposite of what it what the parents are in Strange Loop, where they were like, no, we don't do religion here. My dad has subsequently refound Islam and my mom is still very anti-religion in general. And so it was very interesting in a time in my life where I'm sort of trying to rediscover what being Jewish means to me as a Black woman. I coming to Strange Loop was really interesting because Usher, the lead, yes, of course, religion has been very harmful and traumatic for him in a lot of ways, but it also has shaped him in a lot of ways, right? Like, and he, yes, has a very sort of like chaotic, hard relationship with his parents, but also his mom is his best friend, right? And so the dichotomy of like two things exist, can exist at the same time, two feelings can exist at the same time are sort of what I am trying to to grapple with in my own life of like, okay, I've been taught that religion is like evil and I don't feel that I'm religious. I don't feel that I need to be religious, but I'm also very interested in what it means to be Jewish, what it means to be a Jew of color, where my family came from. And like, I'm very spiritual. And so like, how do all of these things sort of come together and like make sense together or not in creating me, you know, and like my evolution. And I think that Usher is also sort of in that place, right? Of like accepting like, okay, this was my childhood. This was my history. This is where I come from. This is the language I speak. I can't just get rid of it all. Like I have to sort of like dissect it and be like, how does this, how has this formed me for better or for worse? And how do I just accept that this is where I come from and like move forward and evolve as a human being with that knowledge instead of denying it or constantly trying to fight it? So I really sort of connect Usher in that way, even though it's like from opposite sides (laughs) of this idea of religion. Because accepting yourself or finding a place of self-love means tapping into all parts of you, all parts of your upbringing. So for him to say, I accept myself in this 
area of my life and to completely disregard that he would still be wrestling with the demons of having not quite embraced or reconciled that whole massive element of his family life. Yeah, exactly. He's just burying it and it's going to come out sometime, you know, which we sort of see in the show. It's like it's not going to just go away. You have to deal with these things. And I think that's sort of Usher's journey of the show is him like dealing with things and then coming up the at the end of the show being like, okay, like I'm ready to sort of accept and move forward. Yeah, I I love the part in the show where his parents discover some of his music and they're so just horrified by it. And his mother says, why do you hate us? Why are you putting music out there about this? And he says, because I love you. Mm -hmm. And there's this complete missed arrows of the reason and the intention behind it. From his perspective, it is because he wants to engage with all of it. Yeah. It just means going to a very honest and earnest place that just feels so contrary to what they have tried to carve out for him. Oh, totally. And that his mom, especially his dad sort of deals with things head on and that's not necessarily in the best way all the time. (laughs) But his mom is like a deflector. Like she doesn't want to like she wants to gossip about other people, but she doesn't want to deal with like what is actually happening right there in her family. And so for him to be that honest because he loves her and because he loves them, she doesn't know how to handle that. It's too much. So the end note of the play is one of my favorite parts of the loop that we look at through the many versions of looping that the show portrays, where he it says, I am the story's writer, and he's coming to a place of summing up how he's doing it and why he's doing it. And by acknowledging with his full sense of self, he says his biggest obstacle has been the pronoun I. He's finally coming to terms with looking at himself clearly. And then he's able to, in fact, craft a show which lets the story begin. Mm -hmm. Where do you think he is in terms of self-worth? And where do you think the audience can ask themselves at that point where they are in terms of their sense of self-worth, even if their circumstances are entirely different. Yeah, that's one of the things I think is so amazing about this show is like, I think usually in most stories, not just musical theater, you see this like huge character arc, right? Of like the character starts in one place and then they make this like gigantic change and end in another place. And A lot happens to Usher in the show, obviously, but like what I think is so real about this story is that he is just at the beginning of his journey at the end of this show. Like he he is just like finally starting to have a glimmer of awareness of how he might be able to move forward in a more in a life that is filled with a little less self-loathing, right? Like, I think his final, like, words are, maybe I don't need changing. Maybe I should regroup. If change is just an illusion, then what a strange, strange loop. And so he's just like, maybe this is the answer. Like, maybe I just need to, like, accept myself and my history and my parents and, like, start there, right? So it's a very sort of, like, 
minuscule step, but in a way it's the only step, right? It's like the one day at a time is all that we have. One moment at a time is all that we have. So he's taking like one little baby step forward and we hope that he keeps making more baby steps. And I think that's how the audience can also, you know, feel connected because that I find sometimes stories are so large that I feel like I can't possibly do that. You know what I mean? Like what that character just did. Love it. Exciting, intriguing. But like that's too many. That's too much. It's too big of a leap for me to take. And so I hope that the audience takes away that. Oh, yeah, like that's all I need to do, too, is just like recognize that like I I don't have to be quite so mean to myself tomorrow. I don't have to like put quite so much. I don't have to take things quite so personally. (laughs) tomorrow right like just like a tiny little thing that's why I think the show is so important because I think if we all understood that I think the world would be a much better place I think we give up before we begin because we think that it's such a huge journey mm-hmm. and we all need to understand that all we need to do is like one tiny little thing tomorrow <laughs> do you know yeah or today in the case of the his yeah. son or today. Today. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Namuna. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Places Everyone on iTunes or Spotify. And follow me, Lonnie Firestone, on Instagram. Podcast production and original music by Cody Crabb. Artwork by Jennifer Klockner. See you next time. 